Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. shewed them the house of his precious things the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures there was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah shewed them not then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him what said these men And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. Then said he, What have they seen in thine house? Hezekiah answered, All that is in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shewed them. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which, shall, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. There's just something just don't read right, doesn't it? Right? I mean, after hearing all of this, some of the last things you would expect to hear for Hezekiah to say is, good is the word of the Lord. Everything we have is going to be taken away and stolen and carried off. And my son's going to be slaves to an enemy. And good. Just enemy. It's like someone's going to come and take away all your kids. Make them slaves. And they're taking away all your wealth and everything you have in your house. And you're like, sounds like a great idea. I think what his response really tells is a position that Hezekiah is in. I want to minister just a little while tonight about the danger of minimizing potential threats. The danger of minimizing potential threats. And when I say minimize, I mean this. Not taking them in their seriousness. Amen. The danger of minimizing potential, potential threats. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I need you tonight. I pray, oh God, that you're able to meet us here, God. And I know, Lord, that we have felt your presence, Lord, in singing, Lord God, in music. God, I pray, oh Lord, people have gathered together tonight, Lord Jesus, and they have prayed and they have petitioned the throne room of God. I pray, oh Lord, this evening that you're able to speak, Lord God, to those within this building, those, God, that may be viewing God by Facebook and those that may hear God many days from now, Lord Jesus, at different parts of the United States, God. I pray, oh Lord, today that you're able to strengthen us now, Lord, with the word of the Lord, God, guide and direct our hearts and our minds and will not fail to thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you accomplish in this place. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. 
You may be seated in Jesus' name tonight. Perhaps over a year ago, or I'm not real sure about the timeline, but perhaps over a year ago I was uh, tipped off, if you want to call it that, tipped off to a new podcast that is called Overheard. Uh, it's produced by National Geographic, and so since that time, I listen in from time to time concerning these podcasts. I listen quite frequently and faithfully in uh, the, the early moments of just learning of it, almost listen to every episode that was produced and, and sent out. And during one of the early episodes, they had an episode that was called this, The Zombie Mice of Marion Island. Now, I, I wasn't looking for a horror story by no means, and nor uh, am I the type of individual that my interest is necessarily piqued by the word zombie, okay, uh, to say anything. I didn't have anything to do with that, but I knew it was produced by the Mason by National Geographic, so I figured that it couldn't be too far off the rails. You know, it was just a nice little eye-catching, ear-catching uh, title to get my attention. And so as I listen, I come to learn this, that Marion Island is one of the most remote, remote islands uh, in the world, and it is also one of the least visited islands as well. It is surrounded by 1,200 miles of moat, if you will, water that's all around about this island and making it almost like a fortress, like a castle with a moat around about it. It's considered part of South Africa. If you would go off the tip of South Africa, several uh, thousands of miles, you would come unto Marion Island. That island is covered with mountains. It's covered with ridges and valleys. Uh, it's covered, Trevor, with lava fields and it has also caves all across uh, this land formation but due to its seclusion and due to its lack of human inhabitants seabirds have adopted it as a safe haven for their young scientists have studied that there are 28 different species of seabirds that populate Marion Island. There are enormous birds on this island, such birds that are called the albatross birds, whose largest wingspan reaches 10 to 12 feet across. They are considered by some as the world's largest flying birds that there is in the entirety of the world. These colossal birds, though, seeing this island as a safe haven, they leave their baby birds unattended on this island while the adult parents take flight miles and miles away to forage for food for them. And they will leave their young, they say, days, even weeks upon end to go find and hunt and bring back food to their little babies at this Marion Island. These birds. They, they don't nest in the trees because they feel comfortable that they can leave their babies on the ground and they can nest on the ground because there's a certain security about Marion Island that gives them this idea that they can do this. And so since the environment is safe, amen, or at least as it were one time or another, they would allow their babies to nest on the ground. But about 200 years ago, this island of birds and of course, predominantly insects, was introduced to the mouse. No one really knows where the mice came from or where they arrived, but they did know that they could not have gotten there on their own. 
For as a matter of fact, throughout history, and this is a little tidbit, mice always have just been in the shadow of humans. Wherever humans are, you're going to find rodents. Whatever humans are, you're going to find mice or meese. <laughs> Amen. You're going to find all of these type of things. And so no one, whenever they came, no one meant to bring mice to Marion Island. But this, this accidental or haphazard introduction happened nonetheless. They, scientists believe that one day in the early 1800s, and they even have documentation of this, they suspect that these mice arrived with a group of seal hunters that happened to come on Marion Island for that day to hunt some seals, and with the hunters were the rodents, the mice, and that was their introduction into Marion Island. And might I even say that day, that introduction would change the future of Marion Island forever because here's the fact folks and some of you know this it doesn't take too long for two mice to turn into several mice as a matter of fact in some parts of the world uh these mice may even be considered have you been running any of my stuff these mice may even be considered rats but look at them aren't they cute so innocent. In some areas, they are even considered rats. But look how innocent of a mouse that is. But again, two mice is going to turn into several in no time. Mice like these can produce 15,000 offspring in one year. Just two of them. 15,000 in one year. They don't have, listen, rabbits don't have anything on these guys. 15,000 in one year. And so whereas when they first arrived on Marion Island, they came and the mice ate insect after insect as the number 15,000 go up. And next year, you have 7,500 couples producing 15,000 more potential mice. There starts a problem somewhere along the way, Bishop, that there's more mice than there are insects for them to find. And we have an island about 200 years later that has 1 million plus mice upon about 100 square foot, square mile area of land out in the middle of the water. And so what this does is that it impacted their feeding practices because now they're hard up, can't find insects because there's more mouths to feed. There's more mouths at the table. And as a result of it, they target, guess what? The seabirds. And so the mice start slowly eating the seabirds. And you might need to avert your eyes if this bothers you tonight. My next slide. The mice start to eat the seabirds. And that's kind of dark. But they start at the top of the head of the seabird. And they basically start to scalp the bird. They begin to scalp the bird and eat away its head and its brain and its motor skills and its functions. But here is just something that's overwhelmingly interesting to me. The birds don't seem to mind. They do at first, but they become somewhat fatigued. 
fatigued by the end of the whole process, but at first they're a little bit, you know, shifted off. But the, they say that during the day that healthy chicks are healthy birds. They're standing, they're preparing their wing muscles, they're, they're flapping them, waiting for that initial time for them to take their voyage out to sea. But said there's a difference between the healthy and those that have had the attack, if you will, of a mouse or mice. He says because when the healthy birds are standing during the day, those that are being attacked are not standing they're not flapping but they're lying down crashed on their nests they say at night there is a reverse of all of that when the healthy birds are laying down and sleeping and taking their ease with their heads tucked away those that are being attacked by the mice on their scalps as it's being ate away are standing up Amen. And they finally, though, give in just to the fatigue of the whole process and they lie down with the mice overtaking them. And after about two or three days of this, they give up. And many of them have died. But again, the birds do not seem very perturbed by what's going on. They don't seem to be troubled. For that matter, mom and dad that's been out foraging food, they come back. Scientists say they, they view everything that's taken place and the adults don't do anything about it. They're tolerating their little chicks being scalped by a mouse. They're noticing the fatigue. They see the struggle and their chicks are dying, but they don't do anything about it. They don't seem to have any, any instincts for killing the mice because prior to 200 years before the mice arrived, they didn't have to contend with the mice. And so they have no instincts for killing the mice. And so these birds don't have the knowledge, nor do they have the will to take care of the mice themselves. And let me say, if you were to see one of these birds, they have the equipment to kill a mouse. They have very large beaks. They, they are very strong beaks. They could kill a mouse with their beaks. Their bite would be powerful. But the fact of the matter is this. They simply don't see a threat. They simply don't see a threat in the mouse. It's scalping their children. It's invading their area. It's overtaking now their population. There's more numbers of them dying. They're struggling and they're fatigued, but they just don't see the mice as a threat. Now, I've come to disappoint you tonight because I've not come to preach to you about enormous albatross birds and I've not come to preach to you zombie mice, though that would be a great title, I guess. But I've come to preach to you tonight about the danger of minimizing potential threats. I've come to preach that even some of our safe havens as Marion Island even was and protective environments that we have sometimes can become toxic whenever things enter in those spaces unawares on the coattails of other things and we do not denote them and name them as a threat to the society. Someone say Amen. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 39 that Hezekiah invited the Babylonians into his house because they showed up 
with some well wishes and they showed up with some gifts or a present for him. All he could see in that moment of the Babylonians with their well wishes and their gift was this. They must be pretty innocent. They're bringing letters of, of, of we're glad that you're well and that you recovered from your sickness and they're bringing in presents and gifts unto me and so I don't see any harm in their visit. I don't see any concern in them frequenting or coming by here and never once did Hezekiah even back up and think that these people from Babylon may be a potential threat to him or his family or his household. And as a result of that, the Bible describes that Hezekiah became more vulnerable with them, more vulnerable perhaps than a man should become with someone who is a stranger unto him. The Bible says that Hezekiah took these outsiders who were so interested in him and so interested in his welfare. They're like the king of Babylon heard that you were sick and he heard that you were recovered and these people are coming and he brings them into his home because they've been concerned about him and his welfare and the Bible says that Hezekiah began to show them all of his precious things. He points out over here is my gold and my silver. Here are my spices. Here are my precious ointments. If you will, here's the anointing oil that we anoint kings and priests with. He's showing them all of the precious things. Amen. Because they are interested, so to speak, in his welfare. I cannot caution us enough tonight and I'll preach to I'll preach to the Facebook audience, podcast audience, and any audience that would listen this evening. I cannot caution us enough tonight that every individual that shows up in our life with a song and a dance and has supposed interest in your welfare may be interested more so in your demise than you realize. He says they're interested in me. They're interested in your welfare. They're interested in how I'm doing. They're interested if I was sick and if I recovered, sir or ma'am, they might show up with their hat in their hand, but there could be a dagger underneath the hat. I'm trying to tell somebody tonight, we got to be aware of the potential threats that enter our lives. Huh? It took 200 years. Someone hear me? It took 200 years before a surfacing of the impact of the mouse on Marion Island. Something simmer. Something simmer. There might not be some diabolical turnover in its first appearance. Something simmer and wait. Oh, someone say amen. Hallelujah. Hezekiah shared with these Babylonians that came. He showed them all of his house. He didn't leave one corner uninvestigated. He didn't leave one stone unturned. The Bible says he showed them his house of armor. He showed him his weaponry and his artillery. Amen. He let them investigate some of his most prized treasures. Amen. There wasn't one thing he said. Not one thing. Whenever he spoke to Isaiah, there's not one thing. I 
did not show them and I did not share with them. And the primary reason why is because he didn't feel as though the Babylonians were any threat to he or his household. The primary reason enemies, listen to me very clearly, the primary reason enemies show harmless interest in their victims is to create an environment for their victim to become vulnerable. Folks, it can be people, it can be spirits, it can be sin, it can be a multitude of things. If it's showing interest in you and yet it is not of God, it's wanting you to feel comfortable and become vulnerable until you show all the precious things in your life, all of your weapon, all of your artillery, everything you depend upon and put value in it. Because when King Hezekiah was showing the son, the king, the son of the king of Babylon, his weapons and these things that he was valuing, it wasn't that he was just showing him his treasures, but in many regards, he is also exposing his weakness. Because if these things are important to him, how would he be impacted if he did not have them? Someone say amen. Hezekiah, though, says it's harmless. They sent letters. They presented me with gifts because I was sick and I recovered. For that matter, Isaiah, here it is. They're from a distant land. They'll never do any harm. They're too far away to harm. They're too far away to pose a threat. They're too far away to pose an injury. But Hezekiah did not see them as a threat. Nonetheless, the Bible says that Isaiah came after this little walkthrough that Hezekiah had with the Babylonians. And he asked him, he said, who are these people? Where are these people from? And Hezekiah told him who they were and where they were from and what he had done with them. And the voice of the prophet came clearly to the king at that time and told him. He said, Hezekiah, there's going to come a day that everything, I'm telling you, Hezekiah, everything that you have shown them. Amen. Your armory. Amen. Your treasures. Your silver, your gold, your anointing oil, everything that you have shown them, they're going to come and they're going to carry it away. What today Hezekiah may seem like very harmless. Amen. What today you said, well, they're distant today. He said eventually it's going to come and it's going to humble your people and it's going to humble you and it's going to take advantage of your vulnerabilities. He says because today you didn't see it as a threat but there's a day coming. It's going to take you for everything that you're worth. It's going to take everything that you value. Well, you're preaching today, preacher. I'm preaching this. We cannot minimize potential threats in the church. We cannot minimize potential threats in our walk with God. You might say it's nothing, but if you flirt around with that long enough, it'll take your family. It'll take your riches. It'll take the things you depend upon. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. We Someone say amen. 200 years. And then they noticed the accumulative impact of a couple of mice on an otherwise protected island. It would take 120 years. It'd take 120 years 
before Babylon came and carried away everything that Isaiah said it would take from Hezekiah. See, we get this idea that just because no loss is suffered today, but all loss is not in a moment. Sometimes there's a cumulative loss. Landon, if you got $10 worth of quarters on your dresser, I could, Landon being his brother, go in and take all $10 worth in a day. But that would be quite obvious. But I might, if I truly wanted to get it, go in one day and take one quarter. And let him get comfortable with how $9.75 of quarters look. And then when I felt he was comfortable with that, take another one. Until he felt good about $9.50. And if I continue doing that over accumulation of time, I might just have in my pocket $10 worth of quarters and him having forgot he ever had it on the dresser. Someone say glory. glory. Was it the old song? One of those songs of, of a contemporary writer says, It's the slow fade. It's the slow fade that takes us away. I'd like to turn your attention tonight. I'll be mindful of your time. I really will. Uh, but Genesis chapter 19, one that I've hit a lot in the, the previous uh, six months. Genesis 19, when we look at the story of Law and Lot's wife and his, his daughters and all of that again, I want you to consider in verse number 19, you can look at that. And I, I, I probably have the NIV here down in front of me. But you can look at that. This is whenever the Lord was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and, and Lot is saying uh, Lord I know you want me to go to the mountain but I don't want to go to the mountain that seems at quite a distance and for that matter I, Lord I just really can't flee to the mountain because I'm afraid that disaster will overtake me I'm, I'm afraid that I'll die if I go to where you tell me to go <laughs> I'm afraid something's going to happen if I go to where you tell me to go and so then that's verse 19 whenever we read in verse number 30 though the Bible says that Lot and his two daughters left Zoar, which is where he wanted to go, and they then settled in the mountains. And this is somewhat of the wording of Scripture, for they were afraid to stay in Zoar. So at first, they don't want to go to the mountain where God wants them to go because they're afraid they'll be overtaken. They'll die. They want to go to Zoar. Zoar's close. Zoar's near to Sodom. Zoar would seem like an easy trip. Now mark it. Zoar was in the plain. According to the word of the Lord, Sodom, Gomorrah, and all those cities in the plain were to be destroyed. But they're like, God, will you make an exception for us to go to Zoar? Because it's close. Because it's near. And I believe that would be a great place for us to go. But in verse 30, Brother Malone, now he and his two daughters are leaving Zoar for the mountains where God originally told them to go because the Bible says they were afraid. They were afraid to stay in Zoar and that's where they wanted to go to begin with. What changed? If you read between Genesis 19 and Genesis 30, if you read verses 18 through 21, 
you will read that the place where Lot wanted to go, Zoar, instead of the mountains, the place where he wanted to go is the place that the Lord said, now Lot, he said, I can't cause the fire and the brimstone to fall down on Sodom and Gomorrah until you make it to Zoar. And so whenever they cross the threshold of Zoar, amen, fire and brimstone begins to fall. But we also know in scripture, the Bible says that Lot's wife from behind him looked back and turned to a pillar of salt. Listen to me right now. See, Lot had a choice all the way back whenever Abraham said you can choose this path or you can choose that path. You can choose the plains over here or you can choose that. And the Bible says that Lot chose the plains over here of Jordan. Amen. It reminded him a little bit of Egypt and reminded him a little bit of Eden. He chose that. And the Bible says that he pitched his tents toward Sodom. The Bible would later tell us that he was an inhabitant of Sodom. For that matter, he was a magistrate. He took up office in the city of Sodom. Now note, he knows and we know according to God's word, Sodom, Gomorrah, wickedness. Sodom and Gomorrah, sin strung. Sodom and Gomorrah, not high on God's good list. But something about Lot, he didn't think it was a threat to pitch his tent that direction. He didn't think it was a threat to be an inhabitant of the city. He didn't think it was a threat to become in the hierarchy of the government of that city. For that matter, when the angels of the Lord came down and said, listen here, Lot, this place is going to be destroyed. It's going to be annihilated. And the Bible says that the angels actually had to get a hold of Lot and his family because after he heard, the scripture plainly says, and he lingered. This thing is going to be destroyed. This ain't going to be good for you and your family. And yet he still don't feel the threat. He stays right where he's at. And the mercy and the grace of God sent angels to actually get him by the hand and say, come on, we're getting you out of the city because you're not seeing the threat that's in. You sit down. And so he gets him out of the city and then he starts making the bargaining with God. Go to the mountains. Oh, what about Zoar? Go to the mountains. Oh, this is near. Go to the mountains. Oh, it might overtake me. I might die. Go to Zoar. He does. But then he decides later, I'm going to the mountains because I'm afraid. The only thing that changed, listen to me well, the only thing that changed was this. Lot lost something that he loved. Are you hearing me? Lot lost something that he loved. And so I pose this to you tonight. Why must we lose what we love before we're afraid to stay at where we are? Why do we got to lose things we love before we pick up on the true threatening value that they are to our lives and our family and our well-being? It wasn't enough for an angel to speak to him. It wasn't enough for God to speak to him. No, he had to lose something first. Can I tell you, it's not enough for the preacher to preach the word. It's not enough for him to give instruction through the word of God with godliness. That's not enough. Honey, if you have that type of mentality, he will cause you to lose something before you come to the realization, I can't minimize the threats in my life.
because he minimized the seriousness of potential threats in his life. Why, sir? Why, ma'am? Why, internet groupies? Does it take a noticeable in-our-face loss before we feel threatened? Listen to me. At one time prior to this, Hezekiah had a sickness, the Bible said. A sickness unto death. The prophet Isaiah shows up again and he tells him, set your house in order. Because you're going to die. And not live. And at that point of understanding what was going to be lost, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he started praying. And he started crying because we got loss on the line. <laughs> Just because it's apparent lost and others is subtle lost. That accumulation that I was talking about doesn't mean one isn't just as dangerous as the other. Hezekiah knew the sickness that he had in that moment. This is obviously a threat unto me. And he responded appropriately. But can I tell you tonight that I believe with all of my heart that the visit from the Babylonians was just equally as threatening, if not even more, than the sickness that had come upon Hezekiah's life. We cannot minimize potential threats. Walk with me here just for a moment. FAC. Hezekiah, when the Babylonians come with their gifts and song and dance and whatever it was, the entourage that was there, Hezekiah began them to show them everything that he was proud of. God, help me right now. Begin to show them everything that he was proud of. Look at, look at the armor room. Can you imagine an armor room? You know, I know, Trevor, you make them in Minecraft and you got the diamond armor and all this stuff, but can you imagine the armor? This is the armor room. Here's the, here's the sword and here's the shields and here's da 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 He was showing them. These were his treasures. These were things he was proud of. He's showing all of these things. He takes them and shows them the gold and the silver and the anointing oil, all these treasures, things that he was proud of. Watch me here. And the very things that he showed them and that he was proud of became the target for Babylon. Everybody doing okay? Oh, God. There was a day. God help me. I remember as a young boy, 12 years old, when this thing all started, Bishop, and you started pastoring. I was 12. I was the age my son was right now, 12 years old. Matter of fact, I started preaching at the age that my son is right now. Blows my mind. 12 years old. I've been doing this thing for over 30 years. I remember some of those old saints even before some of y'all were ever there, right? Some of the Cecils and Maddens and some of these folks. And in that little church, none of you that never been there, it was a small cracker jack box. It was. 
you probably fit most of it about halfway over here and not as far back as that back wall by no means matter of fact you didn't you know people got happy in those days and supported the word they didn't run around the pews because there wasn't enough room they went around the pulpit we had marches in church boy you had a lot of people you're gonna have to get that thing elongated through the aisle because we were walking around the pulpit but we would go into that little you go to it now man it looks like a mess grass is high and it, it's it's been through the fire and through the flood and i don't know if it's going to overcome by the blood but nonetheless <clears throat> it's a mess we walked into that that little church as it was then it wasn't nothing before church there's that folding folding doors over there on the right side those days that grandma mcgee was alive and some like betty phelps and others you'd hear them <laughs> grandma, i hate it and that's exactly like you's going to hear it too it wasn't, I hate him. No, it was, I hate him. That old snoozer, oh God, you've been so good to me. Lord, ha, hallelujah, Jesus. And we had dividers over there that made Sunday school rooms. You had a kitchen and stove and bathrooms, and you had these dividers. I don't know how in the world we ever made sense out of all that chaos, but we did. People learned about Jonah and the well, and they learned. Uh, I, but man, there was strong prayer. Walk in the door and there's prayer going on. Prayer going on. Walk into that second building, Brother Terry. Just walk with me here for a moment. And whether it's some, at one time it was the basement and then we moved to the upper room. That's what we called it. Called it the upper room. Whether it was prayer in the basement or in the upper room, you walk into that front door where that bell tower was. You didn't have to cross the threshold even when you was outside the door. You know what you heard. You would hear it. You would. And there would be worship. I'm telling you. I remember I was a young man. You could stand up to preach and say bologna and cheese sandwich. And someone's, oh, glory, hallelujah. Bologna and cheese. Now, not those exact words, but what I'm telling you is it didn't take much of a breath of speaking the word. And they're like, Everybody doing okay? Bishop, this is what I know. Because I've scratched my head in days past, and you know even as a pastor, because I know us, Brother Mason. I'm talking about us. Everybody okay? And this ain't hurting Brother and Sister Wilson back here. They even part of the church, and he preaches to them too, so okay. So no one get nervous. We. Prayer, worship, prayer was our treasures. We, I'm just going to speak quite, quite, quite frankly. We were almost somewhat proud to a little bit of arrogance. With our prayer and our worship and our praise. You know what we did in those moments? We became vulnerable in a safe haven called the church. And we showed the enemy our treasures with our pride and arrogance. And what we were proud about, he took on as his target. Isaiah said, everything that you showed him, he's going to take away from you. Everything you've been proud about. Is everybody with me? Is this okay? I, I, I admit to you, I told Bishop this morning, 
I, I, we got done with collective leadership prayer, and I had to run back out and had to do a few things before I went back to the prayer. I'm just, okay, everybody. And I started walking back there. Listen, the, the first church, you walk in the doors, you had heard prayer. Second church, before you even got in the doors, you would hear prayer. It took me walking back in the back before I could even hear prayer. And I got finished praying. Bishop got finished praying. I went over to dad and I said, dad, I said, I remember a day that as the scripture says, when you pray, say, that's what the Bible says. Whenever they asked him, teach us to pray. He said, when you pray, say our father. So I remember a day when people said stuff. They they were praying. And what are you saying? I'm saying we need not to minimize potential threats you don't get from prayerlessness to power prayers in one day but you don't get to powerful prayers to prayerlessness in one day either it's like taking the quarter a day here's the fact I'm trying to arouse our minds tonight to not be like the adult birds on Marion Island and say it's no big deal it's okay they're just scalping them it's alright huh? no 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 I'm trying to somehow lure and heighten our awareness right now because we are the apostolic church we are the church that was birthed in the book of Acts that was birthed in a prayer meeting that was on fire that gave birth to the outpouring of the spirit in the upper room and we can by no means set back idly on our laurels and allow things to be taken and targeted amen there's nothing wrong with praying there's nothing wrong with worship there's nothing wrong with praising God but leave the details of all of that to God I don't want to be arrogant about it and I don't want to be overly pride about it but I just want to be confident in him that when I lift my voice I can lift my voice in prayer and I can extend hands and it doesn't matter how old I look how weird I look how offset I look from the rest of the world this is right Someone say glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a danger to minimizing the threat. I can't sit haphazardly by and say, well, if no one lifts their voice in the song service, that's no big deal. Or if 10 people only go back to the back and whisper a prayer, that's no big deal. If no one, hallelujah, claps their hands and that, no, 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 we can't get in that mode because if we do, we'll get satisfied with no prayer, no worship, no praise. If we do that, it'll be a threat that will undermine our existence. Oh, let's raise our hands across this place.
Someone say glory. Someone say glory. Oh, Pastor McGee, I love those stories that Bishop tell. I love the stories he talk about the seven got the Holy Ghost before there was a keystroke. I love the stories about cirrhosis of the liver being healed. I love the stories about this or that. Let me tell you where those stories stem from. They stem from a praying church, a praising church, a worshiping church. You don't have to get arrogant about your praise and worship, but you can get confident in God. You don't have to allow your enemy to survey all your treasures. You can know you're a treasure unto God. I'm telling you, I don't know if these things have been in my spirit for a long time, but there where there was a day that when Kingsburg Pentecostal Church showed up to a service, we're going to have church. Why? Because we're there. Brother Mason, I was sitting on the pew this morning, and I was thinking during our worship service, if there was somebody from the second church or the first church that's backslid and never been back to this church since then, would they recognize it as the same church? Just a quarter here and a quarter there. Just an accumulative of things. He doesn't knock the breath of prayer out of you in the moment. He just takes moments from each time that you go to prayer and lessens them and dilutes their intensity. Everybody doing all right? I'll just preach this a little while longer. Just a little while. I didn't even preach. I didn't even think plan on preaching this long. But, you know, plans change. The Bible tells us in the book of Leviticus, and again, listen to me, sweet folks. I love you. Right? I love you. I wouldn't be saying this if I didn't. I understand the potential of more and better. I do. The Bible says in Leviticus 14, you read the book of Leviticus chapter 13, the one before that, some of those after that. It's all of this big discussion about leprosy. Probably some of you through Leviticus are like, hee-haw, hee-haw. Oh, grain offerings and this offering and a little frankincense and myrrh and la da 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 da. But leprosy, it's interesting in Leviticus. Leprosy was the counterpart, it was symbolic in the Old Testament of sin. Leprosy was. The Bible's leprosy could get in a garment, leprosy could get in an individual's body, it could break out from a boil, it could get into in, in, in some old sore. You could really preach on leprosy. Leprosy got into old sores that they called raw flesh. I don't have time to talk about it all. But leprosy could get in the house too. Leprosy could get in the house. Here's the thing with leprosy. You couldn't minimize its threat. They said that if a man or if a family thought that there was leprosy in the house, this is the word of God in Leviticus 14, if they thought there was leprosy in the house, their first mode of action 
was to empty the house of everything. And the reason being, the leprosy in the house, you didn't want to get on anything else that was in the house. So you had to empty the house of everything. Somebody hear me right now? Oh, God help us. Because, Brother Malone, the last thing I want is leprosy to get in the house and get on you or in your garment. The last thing I want is leprosy to be found in the house and it to get in the Sunday school department. Last thing I want is leprosy to get in the house and get in the pastor's home. So we got to get everything out of the house. If there's any suspicion, you hearing me? If there's any suspicion of there being leprosy in the house, say so we're going to close up that house for seven days. We're going to come back. We're going to inspect it and see if it's gotten better or if it's gotten worse. If it's gotten worse, we're keeping the house empty. But we're going to go around and see if we can pinpoint where the leprosy is in the house. We're going to inspect the walls. We're going to expect the floors. We're going to expect the timber. And pre-adventure, we find where the leprosy is. This is the proper procedure for taking care of leprosy in the house. Everything's outside of the house. He says, but if we find stones in the home that's affected by the leprosy, he says, then we're going to take those stones out. And the leprosy that may be anywhere around, this is your word. We're going to scrape the leprosy off the walls. This is, this is big stuff. We're going to scrape it off the walls. And it's going to be a dust. But we're not allowing the dust of the leprosy to touch the floor. We're putting the dust. This is your word. We're going to put the dust of the leprosy in a container. Take it outside of the house to an unclean place and dispose of it. Why? Because we can't suffer even the dust of leprosy to survive in the house. We can't minimize the threat. Oh God. So they're going to scrape it off the walls. They're going to collect that, that dust, make sure none of it gets airborne or, or get anywhere else. They're going to take it out to a place. And you know what? The, the Bible is very purposeful in everything that it says, folks. The Bible says in our New Testament, in the, in the, in the Gospels and in the Epistles, that a little leaven, which is also symbolical of sin of the Old Testament, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Just a little. Someone said, just a little. Innocent, like that little mouse we had up there later. Bless its heart. Bless its heart and scalping a chicken's head. He says, after we've taken away the stones, he said, we're going to take other stones. And we're going to put them in the place where the leprosy struck stones were. We're going to put them where those stones were and we're going to use other mortar to seal in the stone and we're going to plaster and cover the whole house. Well, God, oh, Lord, help me really good, Lord. Help me really good, Lord. We got to be careful about potential threats. Oh, Lord. And if it means along our Christian journey, some stones having to be removed and replaced. 
for the sanctity of the house. So be it. Because a stone is no matter for being vulnerable for the condition of a whole house. Someone say amen. The danger of minimizing potential threats. Last but not least, this is the most largest, biggest takeaway. I don't know takeaway, but action against leprosy in a house. So if you go back and replacing stones and all this, if this doesn't take care of it, and other mortar and plastering house, if that don't take care of it, so there's only one thing you can do. You got to break down the whole house. And you got to rebuild. If you let it go too long, you might just have to just tear it totally down. And rebuild. Because you didn't take in consideration the seriousness of the threat in its infancy. Stay with me tonight. I'll come to a close. I'm coming. I'm coming. So Hezekiah's cavalier response is good is the word of the Lord. Are you serious right now? Good is the word of the Lord. Why is that so good, Hezekiah? Because I don't see anything threatening the here and the now. It don't affect anything right now. According to my estimation, 120 years removed from now, it's going to. Here's something that's telling, I believe, in, in our lives, and that is this. It's telling, and it's somewhat like I, I spoke of this morning, it's telling when we're not troubled by what troubles God. And likewise, it's telling when we are troubled by what pleases God. There's a danger in trying to minimize the potential threats in our lives, the life of the church, the life even of your own personal families. Folks, sometimes you just got to identify things as they are. There was with great reason and great purpose that oftentimes with this thing called leprosy, whether it be garment person, you know what they did? They shut the person up seven days, garment, whatever it is, house, seven days, and then they went back to look at it. You know what they were doing? Let's just see if this is as bad as maybe it possibly could be or if it's not. If it's not, we just miss seven days. What's the big deal in the grand scheme of what it could have been? But if seven days it's gotten worse, then let's take care of business because it's exactly what we don't need in the garment, in the home, and in the life. Someone say amen. amen. I'm calling us tonight as a church to the altar this evening with an awareness of potential threats to the first apostolic church. I'm calling us to the altar with an awareness that says this. You know what? In the scheme of things, it don't look like much in the moment. 
But when I cast my eyes over the past 20 years, something's been taken. Little by little. We say, well, the devil has a roaring lion. He's, he's the thief. He cometh to steal, kill, and destroy. And we always think it's going to, he's stealing everything at once. No, he's come in and got a little prayer time there, a little praise there, a little worship there, a little hallelujah, a little amen here and there. Until before you know it, you're living in a bare house. You are without content. We are hollow shells of what we were. Please today. What are you saying? I'm not saying it's beyond but I'm saying this, I think it's a, take a good little time tonight for someone to get out the straight edge razor, Brother Fred, and start scraping the wall. Somebody just start scraping the wall. Don't let the dust fall through the floor. Just scrape the wall, put it in container, and as you leave here tonight, you find the most unclean place you can and just drop it right there. Drop that threat. Drop, drop, if you will, that whatever it may be. You drop that leprosy. You drop that thing off. Because I believe if we would put our good faith and our good measure toward the things of God, that when people come to the sidewalk, they can already start hearing, well, this is a bigger building, brother. It is. Thank God. But I believe they can prophesy long ago when they would get on the parking lot, they'd feel something. I believe before they even get through the double doors, they could already be hearing somewhere from the back. Someone calling out to God, not really caring about who hears it and who don't. Huh. I believe there can be some praise and worship that would cause some people that never seen it, jaws to drop around here. And think they must be a fanatic. You got that right. I am a fanatic for the Lord. These altars are open tonight. Would there be somebody... That would not minimize potential threats for your church family, for you, for your community, for your person. Don't let leprosy get in the house. Don't let leprosy get in the garment. Don't be like Lot and have to suffer loss in order to become too afraid to stay where you're at. Somebody hear me right now? Don't let it come to that, that you got to become afraid because you suffered loss to stay where you're at. No, 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 no. Let's be proactive tonight. Say, God, if the hill is where, if the mountain is where you said to go, that's where I'm going to go. I don't want there to be any potential threats that, though it may seem harmless now, though it seems harmless now, over a cumulative of days and years, may find me stripped of everything I valued may find me stripped of everything that I treasured of all of my weaponry of all of my fighting capacity thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you, and have a blessed day.